We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. should have known to expect this from football, but it manages to deliver an outcome in the final that makes Arsenal fans supporting both Italy and England miserable. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Oh boy. What can you even say? I mean, it is it is really the case where I know there will be people listening to this who supported Italy and are happy for Italy, but because I am guessing the majority of people listening are Arsenal fans, even the Italy supporters have to feel a little bit heartbroken at how the final kick that determined the outcome was struck, who struck it, and how it was saved. I don't I don't really know how we get over it. I, you know, I was thinking to myself before this all went on, will Saka start, and you know, what if he scores the winning goal? And in my mind, I was like, it doesn't really matter. He's had a great tournament. Literally, the only thing I don't want for Saka is for him to miss a penalty in the shootout and then to miss the final penalty, to lose the finals. And we will discuss why he was in taking it. Um, what that means for him going forward. And the whole the whole match, the whole tournament, the whole thing with Phil, uh, who is being brave enough to be here right now, we'll let you know that we will be doing another podcast tomorrow, a regular podcast, but we'll probably focus on this game and where we go from here uh, with Saka and, and with England and, and football generally. But uh, here with me is, is Phil Costa, as ever. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> not great, not great, but... You know, I need maybe I need to get it out and talk about it. So maybe this can be a cathartic experience for me. Football bloody hell, right? Bloody hell. Why did I like this game again? God, it's terrible. It, it it's is awful. funny because there are people that sometimes accuse me of being negative. You know, they're like, oh, you just need to be more optimistic. You need, you, need, you know, you got to be more positive. And today I feel that I can say to those people, what have we learned? Never, ever have hope at all <laughs> because it's it is the hope that kills you. Um. I want to start with the penalties and work our way back. Yeah. So obviously like Saka misses the last penalty and it is, it is the worst case scenario for a player who having had a breakthrough season has sort of a breakthrough tournament becomes a bit of a a beloved almost meme of the tournament, but also a a player who's had a big influence. I feel like maybe an influence we've overstated a bit as Arsenal fans, but still an influence nonetheless, an important one. Um, 
he he gets dropped for the game. He gets subbed on England having done very, very little. He admittedly doesn't do much himself in the time he's on. And then it's not just that the 19-year-old has to take a penalty. It's that he is the fifth penalty taker, that players like Sterling and Grealish <clears throat> are, are not given that responsibility, and he is. The first thing I want to ask you is just, because I, I, I've seen both opinions, do you feel that it is unfair of Southgate to the extent that it's Southgate's responsibility and of the other players to the extent that it's theirs that a 19-year-old should find himself in that situation having not, in my knowledge, ever taken a penalty at any senior level of football? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a, a very much a collective effort. I think for me, no matter how much he he volunteered and how much he you know put himself forward to take that penalty, there is absolutely no way in hell that a 19-year-old in his first uh, international tournament, first European final, should be anywhere near that fifth penalty. And I just was really frustrated because as soon as I saw his face on the come up on the screen, I stood up and I, I told my colleagues, like, I do not want him taking this. I don't want him anywhere near this penalty mm-hmm. because, you know, I have complete faith in his ability. But just think about the occasion here. For a 19-year-old to be able to put that weight and responsibility on himself it's just, it's just not on. Really, it's not on. And, and either Gareth Southgate or Harry Maguire or whoever it was, you know, Jordan Henderson, Harry Kane, just someone, you know, get Grealish, you know, jolt him up a bit, get him by the shoulders and say, look, you've wanted this moment. You've been asking for a big role in this team. You know, Raheem Sterling, same as you. You've had a brilliant tournament. Back yourself to take it. This should not have been Saka's responsibility. And, you know, I'm really proud of him and pleased for him that he felt brave enough to stand up and take it. But yeah, it was just kind of, I had a horrible nagging feeling that he was going to miss. And then when I, you know, when he, he eventually missed and I saw him just break down into tears on the way back. And I genuinely felt terrible because, you know, I just don't want that for him because I think he's had such a, an exciting month or so getting onto the radar of everybody. And I really don't want him to be the scapegoat. When I saw Rashford and Sancho coming on, I hoped that it, would be for him that he'd be one of the guys coming off just so that he he wouldn't even be in the firing line for this. Um, I mean, look, he deserves a lot of credit for allowing himself or volunteering himself to be put in the position to take that penalty in a way like when Jorginho took his penalty, I was rooting for England, just candidly. So I was thrilled when, when Pickford saved the penalty. But now in retrospect, like I just wish that had bounced in off Pickford, the back of Pickford's head, like it looked like it was going to and gone in the net. Um, as far as the penalty itself, I know it's not a quote-unquote good penalty, but I sometimes feel like what is a good penalty is something we judge based on whether it hits the back of the net or not, which, okay, fair enough. But, like, he's extremely nervous. He's 19. He's never taken one. So he picks his side, he strikes it hard, and it's on target. And at that point, it's 50-50. If the keeper goes the other way, it's sensible, right? You struck it hard. You struck it clean. You picked your spot. It's on target. We keep going. But the keeper picks the right side, and once he does that, it's a savable height. It's a savable spot. I mean, given that we saw stuttered run-ups and players try to be clever, you know, like Rashford, who tries to figure out which way the keeper's going to go and then doesn't even get it on target, are, are you more forgiving of that effort as the sensible way to take a penalty under the pressure of that situation, or or is it really a dreadful penalty in your view? No, no, it's not a dreadful penalty because if Donnarumma goes the other way, Everyone's praising him and his and his balls of steel. So, you know, I think it's worth noting that Donnarumma has incredible 
um, penalty shootout prowess. I mean, in terms of his size, first and foremost, he's just an absolute unit. I think he probably came out of the womb with a beard and, you know, 65 kilos. So I think his incredible height and reach, and he's just such an intimidating kind of figure um, in that goal. He makes it look so small. And I, I was just reading before I came onto the podcast that he'd been involved in five penalty shootouts for club and country, and he'd, and he'd been on the winning side of all of them. So, you know, that's a clear strength of his. That's some clear goalkeeping prowess. And, you know, we can say what we like about Rashford's penalty not not being great. And obviously Donnarumma, um, uh, you know, he, he dived the wrong way for that one. But he was big enough to save Sancho's one, big enough to save Saka's one. So, look, I mean, at some point you need to kind of praise the keeper as well. But I, I don't think it was a great penalty, but I don't think it was a, a particularly bad one either. It was just kind of... Am I wrong to say that yeah. it's it's a similar? Is it Chiellini who Pickford dives the right way and doesn't keep it out? And was that Chiellini's penalty or Benucci's? No, Benucci. Benucci. And like, Benucci. isn't it sort of the same as that? Like, I felt like Pickford should save that. I mean, maybe it's because Pickford goes a little early, so it's sort of behind him by the time he's it's going over him. But it's the same kind of spot. It's not too high, and it's not in the corner. So I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that could have been saved in terms of the Sancho and Rashford miss. Just in terms of a, a theory of the game, I'm sure that <clears throat> data people can pull out the data to say whether I'm right or wrong about this, but just in terms of my feelings, and everybody knows that facts do care about your feelings, um, I've never loved the idea of players coming on to take a penalty in a huge moment, having not been involved in the action for more than a minute or two. I think you know what you do when you've worked up a sweat and you've been running around and you've been in the wars and you've been <clears throat> feeling the energy of the... You, you sweat off some of the the anxiety of the occasion. You know what I mean? And and you're just sort of mm-hmm. out there playing football after a while. And I, I, I sometimes feel that when you come in cold, striking a ball cold like that, you haven't been able to sort of sweat off some of that initial anxiety. So what's your take on both the guys who get subbed on to be specialist kick takers not scoring and whether you, you think that is just a coincidence or in general a strategy you don't love? Yeah, I mean... I agree. It was really surprisingly late, actually, how how he brought them on. And there was, I think it was in the sort of the end of the first half of extra time, Rashford was like stripped off and ready to come on. Um, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if, if he, he wasn't uh, warmed up properly or if he changed his mind, Southgate, but uh, they told him to sit back down again. And I thought, hmm, okay, maybe uh, something's happened there. He just wants to bring him on a bit later. But I completely agree. I think especially in a game of this magnitude you you need to be fresh and um kind of mentally in the game physically in the game uh you know just get a few touches under your belt understand the the concept of of of, you know physical contact with the with the opposition and i just felt like they were kind of dropped in there um, they had like one or one or two minutes at the end when there were, you know, not much. I think there was like a couple of crosses going into the box uh, in terms of England's defensive line, but they were they were not, you know, involved at all. And all of a sudden, they're being tasked with, you know, scoring two crucial penalties um, against a huge goalkeeper who who knows his stuff. So for me, I mean, maybe it was the plan all along to get these guys to take penalties and, and fair enough if, if they have the list and that's, oh my God, as you can hear my, my Italian colleagues there. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it could have been either to be fair, because I think that sentiment would also be warranted, <laughs> warranted that, that, yes. that almost, it had a bit of the screams of agony to it 
also. So yes, no, I make uh, sure that person's okay. <laughs> wasn't too fun to sit around them tonight. Um, but yeah, it just felt like everything was a bit, a bit rushed and a bit, you know, um, unprepared, if that's a word. I'm not sure if that's used in the right context, but I mean, it's so difficult. It's really fine margins because, you know, if they score those penalties and it could be easily very different, but they don't. So yeah, I don't know. I was just maybe looking for people who were on the pitch who were fresh, maybe with a bit of experience. I mean, Harry Maguire and Kane took two excellent penalties. Um, but for me, it's what you mentioned before. I was very surprised that he took off Carl Walker and uh, Jordan Henderson. I expected Saka to come off for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because they were two like experienced heads that I was kind of looking at to say, all right, you've been here, you know the deal. Strike a good penalty. Maybe you can take some responsibility here. But I just really hope that they don't really suffer for this, you know, in terms of, you know their their own battles, their own mentality, and and what's going to come for them on uh, from fans and social media and everything. Because this this is going to be a, a devastating experience for all three of them. Yeah, and I mean, I I I did not want to see the images of Saka having basically a nervous breakdown. I mean, he looked he looked really. I mean, of course he looked upset. He's 19 years old. Like I'm trying to think of the worst thing that happened to me in my life when I was 19 years old, and it was probably you know, some girl not returning my phone call, or let's be honest, all the girls not returning my phone call. But like, this is this is the kind of pressure, the kind of thing. I mean, th- there's two ways this can go, right? You can say this tournament built so much character for him, showed him what he's capable of, and also made him experience what's probably going to be the hardest, most stressful, most heartbreaking thing he may go through in football, and everything else will feel easy from here on. Or he could be shattered and, and need to be built back up. I mean, let's not speculate about that. Let's just hope he, he's fine. Um... You know, and, and that his character carries him through because he has a lot of that. The the one thing I'll say as a last thing on the penalty shootout is the only person who I knew before they took it was going to miss was Belotti because he looked like a broken man before he took the penalty. <laughs> I've never seen a guy look like he was going to cry before taking a penalty like he did. So that would have been easy gambling money if I was gambling on that. Let's Let's go back, though. I think the problem with tournaments is that they allow for a lot of post hoc analysis. They're very Machiavellian. All that matters is a result. And it's why I think you can have managers like Unai Emery that excel in them. You can have, you know, situations where teams win FA Cups and sometimes we over-index that, you know, the coaches for that. I mean, Roberto Martinez won an FA Cup with Wigan, right? They also got relegated that season. I mentioned this because I think there's been a concern that Southgate approached this tournament too conservatively for the talent at his disposal. We said in the preview show that this tournament for Southgate was going to be about how he used the immense attacking talent at his disposal. And while England deserves massive credit for making the final, I don't think anybody would have been surprised if he said England will make the final in this tournament. They were one of the big favorites. And certainly... Um, you know, I think in terms of the group, in terms of the semifinal matchup, in terms of the quarterfinal matchup, they they had a fairly straightforward path other than a not great German side. And I'm not trying to hand wave what they did. I'm not doing that at all. It is a, it is a brave, wonderful tournament. Congratulations. I'm very happy. But I think Southgate's conservatism, which got the job done and worked for the most part, winds up costing him in the biggest moment. Now, that, that means we have to start with the discussion of the use of a back three. He basically goes with the same thing he did against Germany. Now, with Germany, he was kind of going man for man and, and matched everybody up all over the pitch, and I, I sort of understand it. But especially given 
the way England played, I think, in the quarterfinal and semifinal, it, it felt wrong to me. But to be fair, is it fair to say, Phil, that while we can analyze in a minute whether it was wrong and, and whether he stuck with it too long and, and how England ultimately just probably were, were way too defensive for long stretches of the game, it really seemed to have Italy rattled early on. I mean, not, not just the goal, but the whole start of the game, Italy was not tracking the wingbacks well, and England were able to spring counters pretty quickly. And I mean, is it fair to say that Early on, it looked like Southgate had played this exactly right because Italy took some real time to get to get to grips with the formation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, it it gets a bad reputation, but the, the, like a, a three at the back or a five at the back, whoever you prefer to call it, it doesn't have to be a defensive for a formation. Ask, which, which way do you prefer? Sure. I call it a back three and everybody, there were people on Twitter like, it's a back five, you idiot. And I'm like, aren't I call it a back thing? three. I call it a back thing. three as well. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to be a defensive formation. And we saw early on how many times was Trippier getting free down the right-hand side. And I was just like, get it to this side. Because Emerson is, you know, he didn't even know where he was half the time. And it was, you know, really, I don't know how they didn't, you know, uh, keep attacking that side. Because uh, it was obviously the outlet, right? That was the danger. And that's how, where the goal came from. It was a really excellent wing-back-to-wing-back wing goal. So good. The, the stadium erupted. And then... You know, Italy settled a bit, their experience kind of told a bit and they got to grips with how to to bypass the wing backs. And, you know, and for me, I don't know if this was an instruction from Southgate or the players just naturally feeling some nerves, but they just retreated way too quickly um, and they didn't need to do it. They, I mean, Italy kind of got got back into the game and were controlling things a bit, but they, but they didn't threaten at all. Um, in in the first half hour, but England just slowly, slowly kept retreating and retreating, and I was like, "This is not going to be good." Because slowly, Italy are going to grow in confidence, and then you know, no matter how much you can back yourselves defensively, if you invite a team of that quality onto you for you know th- uh, two thirds of the game, they're going to score. Mm. They're going to do something, and you could just see it happening. And you know, for me, the first major checkpoint was half time. They got there and I thought, right, Southgate can can sort of come back in, regroup. And, you know, they just started the second half really badly again. It was deeper and deeper and the wing backs were not going forward at all. And it was basically just long balls up to Kane. And I was like, he's never going to be able to hold it with uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, like slamming him in the back every time the ball's there. And it was just, you could see it coming and you could see it coming. And then obviously they got the goal from the corner and... Uh, after that, I was kind of fearing the worst, mm. uh, honestly. But, I mean, th- this conservatism from Southgate is no surprise to me. We've spoken about it before. Um, we spoke about it at the preview pod. We've spoken about it after England have played. It's just kind of who he is. Um, and that's not a slight on him. It's just how he prefers to manage games and to manage football games. And I just, I don't know. I think there was a lot more competition in this game for England. And I feel like they gave Italy a lot of respect on the ball. They stopped pressing. Um, they took off Declan Rice, who was having an absolute storm, and they lost a, a lot of initiative in the middle. Sterling wasn't being an outlet on the, on the, on the break anymore. And it was kind of just Italy's game from that point. And, you know, I, I leave with a lot of regret in that sense, because I do feel like they left a lot on the pitch today. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and slam the tactics or anything because they worked for the most part. But I just feel like under the microscope of today's game, I, I, I just think they retreated far too quickly. And that kind of handed Italy the impetus without them having to work for it. It is really, really interesting 
the dynamic between the willingness to criticize process when outcome is good versus the willingness to criticize process when outcome is bad. And I get that in sports, one of the reasons for that is outcome is all that matters. The ends always justify the means in sports. But in a league, what we see is that the ends don't always justify the means because eventually if you're playing badly, it catches up with you. We saw that in Emery's first season. In a tournament, that's not necessarily the case. But I, I do think... You know, when you look at at England, who had six total shots in this game, and you know, two on target, one is the goal. After that, they have one shot on target the whole rest of the game. They finished with thirty four percent possession. But at one point in the second half, I think, um, you know, around the time of Italy's equalizer, I think they were at twenty nine percent possession in the in the second half. And this is what I wanted to bring up to you, Phil. Is you know, we the irony is we had just talked about this in the context of another game. I, I can't remember which game we were talking about it, but where I said, you know, I have been critical of Arsenal in the past for being overly defensive in games and people say, oh, they're playing on the counter. And my argument is you can't say you're playing on the counter unless you actually counter. And that was the thing that I felt for for England is they played a little on the counter and it worked early. But for about an hour of this game, it was literally just defending. There was no out. There was no counter. There was no threat. And I think as Italy started to realize that, it really emboldened them and allowed them to heap the pressure on them. And I, I think that Southgate was too conservative with the lineup to begin with, but if you want to give him credit for it maybe working early, he was too slow to change it. Now, there were a lot of things that I I thought didn't work for England about this, but ultimately, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Italy because it is easy to just fixate on, on England. We'll come back to England in a couple of questions I have for you about maybe players that underperformed who were untouchable, who shouldn't have been but for Italy, this was a game where, you know, they needed someone to kind of show them that they could get back in it, that they could hurt England's defense. Because for a while there, it looked like England were a little bit comfortable. Just, you know, the big brother holding the little brother, you know, a hand to his forehead and the little brother swinging, not getting at him. And then, you know, I think Chiesa just wanted to show his team and just put his stamp on the game to show we can hurt this defense if we're bold and if we go at them. And I, for me, Chiesa's f- sort of forages forward and, and rampages through the England defense were the the, the kind of uh, vanguard for the Italy attack. I mean, do you feel that Chiesa was the one who really started to shift the way the game went with his his willingness to drive at England defenders and, and hurt them and create that danger and maybe embolden Italy to attack a little more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Those, I mean, I don't know if, if we have many Italian listeners, but I mean, his emergence will be no shock to them because he's always been a one of their brightest young talents. And it was just about getting everything together because he has all the raw attributes. He, he has the skill. It was just sort of putting everything, the technique, consistency, uh, injury problems you know, getting everything on the same page. Sorry. This it's going like, to be that kind of night. What do you, what do you want it's going to, I can, you know, I'm raging here. Um, but it, you know, he just kind of used to be this crazy erratic shot monster at Fiorentina. And then he went to Juve and then last year he was absolutely sensational in a really stale team under Andrea Pirlo. And now, you know, he's just molding into this all action bulldozer of a forward and, you know, he's quick, he can play off either side, he's never afraid to shoot, he'll back himself against defenders one-on-one, but he's added a lot of incision and 
more importantly, timing to his game. So he knows when to shoot now. He knows when to dribble. He knows when to pass. And I just think he's going to be such a force in, in the coming years. And I really enjoyed his performance today, even though I kind of did a little fist bump under the, under the table when, uh, when he had to go off injured. Um, because I felt like he was absolutely killing England today because they just couldn't handle him. I mean, Carl Walker is one of the quickest defenders around. Luke Shaw is no slouch. And he was just giving them so many problems. And without him performing like that today, I don't think Italy have the cutting edge in the final third or the spark to kind of take them over the line. But they managed to find it. And that was basically manifested through him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was immense. A, a player that I think was less uh, effective on the other side, again, for England, is Mason Mount. And and he, he's been an interesting one for me in this tournament. He's an excellent, excellent player. Let's, let's not pretend he isn't. I don't know that he's been excellent in this tournament, but he's been pretty ever-present for Southgate and a player that he's been reluctant to, to, to rest. I think if you're going to go with the back three in this game, I think it would have made more sense to start with Saka than Mount um, because I think Mount works... A little, I, I just don't. I don't love him as a wide forward. That's me. I mean, maybe you could say, well, that's that's what he is. I I see him more as a player between the lines. But I, you know, I I think, I think this would have suited Saka a little more in a back three like this than than it suited Mount. But regardless of whether that's my bias showing in general, do you think Mount over the last few games and certainly in this one is a player who maybe struggled to to influence things enough, and that Southgate's reliance on him maybe was a bit of a blind spot in the end? Yeah, it's difficult because I really like Mason Mount. He's a great player. I'm not, I'm not knocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think he was actually one of Chelsea's most important players last season in, you know, under Tuchel especially. He, he played from the left. He played as the number eight. He played deep in a two. And I just think he's so useful and versatile and hardworking and technically gifted. But... For some reason, I just never found him fitting in this England side. Um, I'm not sure whether that was, you know, he was simply just a victim of, of the system or the formation, or maybe he wasn't 100% fit after, you know, his corona absence, but after isolating. But yeah, so yeah, it feels like every time I talk, they're doing it. I have told them, but they just keep nah, shouting. It's, so why I think they just—it's the final. Yeah, Most of the people listening, if they're shit. listening to this at all, they're they're absolutely hammered, drunk, and they can't tell who's yes. talking anyway. So it's fine. Um, and yeah, he just kind of never fit into this side, and I completely agree with you that. God. That he, you know, he he should not have been that that wide starter out on the right because that's not his game. I think he's at best linking up with the guys that are supposed to be on the right, you know, or supposed to be on the left. He's supposed to be there uh, as the glue to kind of get midfield into attack and, and do those nice little touches and find space. And he just looked kind of lost out there. And I think it was very easy, particularly for uh, for Chiellini, who I thought was absolutely brilliant today, by the way, even though, even though he tried to assault Saka at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, was he was crazy. just finding it so easy to nullify him. And, and he really kind of gave Emerson a, a helping hand because Mount doesn't really have the pace to run beyond him. And there was no real incision uh, from England at all during the game. So I just thought he was kind of nullified into nothing. And maybe with someone like Saka, uh, Sancho, um, who can maybe get on the ball, take some players on, commit some players, maybe that would have been a better choice for uh, for Southgate in, in a wider area. And I just felt like that maybe didn't really suit the the energy and the balance of the team. Mm. 
it's heartbreaking. And, and I feel like, unfortunately, you can seem wise after the fact, criticizing tactics that got England to a final. I mean, it is fair to say there's a lot of talent, a lot of talent in this team. Um, Southgate seemed reluctant to go with a real plan B, like really do any kind of plan B stuff. And I think one thing we see in club football is that coaches have a plan B that sometimes diverges pretty drastically from plan A. And what I mean by that is like, we never saw Calvert-Lewin get on, you know, put balls into the box, try to take advantage of center backs for Italy that aren't good aerially, right? We never we never really saw Southgate, I think, use some of the, the different kind of players he had. A lot of the changes, Grealish for Mount, like for like. You know, when he when he went with Sancho, it was instead of Saka. And there, there was a lot of like for like change. There were some untouchables, Sterling and Kane, and I understand why. But do you wish that Southgate had shown a willingness to try a bit of a plan B? I mean, Bellingham only got on, was it the one time in the group stage did he play? I mean, maybe late in a Ukraine game or something yes, like yeah, that. He, but he like, ne- never yeah. in a meaningful moment where, again, a, a midfielder who can really drive through things. One thing that I thought hurt England tonight is a lot of the ball progression fell to like Maguire striding forward. And that didn't work out very well most of the time. Um, you know, a guy like Bellingham who can pick it up off the defenders and carry it forward. He Southgate really didn't seem too willing to try different things. He had a light, lot of like-for-like like type replacements. But by and large, he, he stuck with what was working. And I mean, look, of course you stick with what's working, but do you think it would have benefited him to have had a willingness to go with with something different? We talked before this game about the fact that Benucci and Chiellini are not, you know, aerially dominant, not great in the aerial duels. And, you know, a guy like Calvert Lewin late in the game, when especially against tired legs, maybe can't jump as well. I mean, he, he poses a very different threat. Would you have liked to have seen Southgate embrace more of a plan B? Did we say that about Benucci and Chiellini? I'm not sure. I, if I did, I, I, I may have, I may have because... said it to Clyde, but what I will tell you, and again, I'm I'm basing this purely off data, not the eye okay. test. Their aerial duel data is dreadful. They lose okay. most of their aerial duels by data. And again, there are a lot of people that are going to say, I've watched them, mate. They're fine in the air. They're not fine in the air by the data. That doesn't mean I'm right. <laughs> No, I mean, I don't particularly think they're weak. I think maybe because they play for Juventus, they're not really... Uh, doing so much in the in an aerial sense, maybe, but but even setting that sure, aside, would a plan B a bit yeah, have yeah, yeah. benefit? Yeah, because because DCL is hard agree. for the be- the best in the air. You know? <laughs> I completely agree, and I think you know, but, but it's what we, the thing is, we can talk about it now as much as we want, but I'm not surprised, you're not surprised, because we've spoken about it already. We know that Kane, unless his you know ankle is hanging off the socket, there's no way he's going to come off. Um, it's just how it is he's the guy he's Southgate's guy he's the captain um so for me I mean I feel a bit sorry for Calvert-Lewin because he had an, an incredible season and maybe there there have been opportunities to maybe go for the, for two up front or maybe play him off the left as kind of a well bet kind of forward but for me there was just no way that Kane was going to be off that pitch at any point today or at any point in the tournament and whether that's the the right or the wrong decision remains to be seen. I think there were certainly games where he could have come off. I mean, he looked absolutely gassed today um, for for most of it um, after after the first half and and especially in extra time. And it's it's difficult because you're asking a lot of him, but you know that he's he could deliver if you get that that one moment that you've been searching for. But again, the whole point of having a a big squad like that, a talented squad like that, is that you can kind of lean on people and say, look. Um, you can give us something different here. We can use your skill set. And I just don't think 
he did it enough in the final third. I mean, Sancho was hardly used. Um, you know, Grealish was kind of limited to fits and starts off the bench. Foden the same. And I completely understand the need for structure. I completely understand the need for players having maybe a bit of defensive nous about them. But it's just, I, I really feel like they left a little bit of something in the tournament. And especially today, maybe Italy, particularly late in extra time, were maybe there to be got at. But, you know, it's just very easy to talk about it in hindsight because um, they might have practiced things in training and, and, and that's just what they, they went for, you know. So it's difficult. I'm really, really gutted. Um, but, you know, proud all the same because I think it's been an incredible journey and I think there will there will be an obvious post-mortem to come but I just feel like everything's kind of raw at the moment and I'm happy to enjoy it in that kind of uh, emotional sense whether the pragmatism can follow another day but I think for sure some players who are called up into this squad um, will be looking at themselves and thinking hmm, I, I could have made an impact here or I could have done something there and they weren't really given the opportunity. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but like you've got in Italy, Chiellini and Benucci are excellent. And boy, were they good tonight. But like you've got backup fullbacks on both sides. The times England actually attacked in this game, I thought they looked pretty dangerous. Obviously early on, but even late when Italy were just sort of holding on to get to penalties, there was an hour of this game that England just didn't participate in. And I I think Southgate has to look at that. And, and I understand you're you're there. You're at the finish line. You've got the one nil lead in the final. Just see it over the line. But not playing any football, emboldening a team as good as Italy, I, I think it's a mistake. I, I think it's worth saying, Italy probably were the team of the tournament, right? I mean, England, a great story. I don't mm-hmm. think they were nearly as good as Italy on the balance. I mean, would you say yeah, that yeah, the yeah. tournament, in rare fashion, perhaps produced the the best team that played the best football, winning the tournament? I think they were the best team. Yeah, I think the best team won in the end um, in terms of their performances over the whole uh, three and a half weeks or the whole month or whatever it is. I think they were much more rounded, much more. They kind of looked like they had their shit together, if that makes sense. Like I felt I knew what they were doing from game one uh, and they kind of stuck with it. They had a, a lovely blend of experience, some crackers up front. They had a really nice um, midfield. I mean, it, it, you know, Jorginho, I, I despise him. Like today, that was a blatant red card on Jack Grealish. And, and actually seeing him step up for that fifth penalty, I felt sick because he's just a horrible shithouse of a player and I really don't like him. But he had an amazing tournament. You thought and that was a blatant red card? Absolutely. He stamped on him, on his leg. Well, so all right. So I, I, I'm not saying it's not a red card. I'm saying it's so he he steps on the ball. And I think some people would say if you go over the ball with your studs, it's red. But he steps on the ball, the ball slides away, and his foot ricochets onto Grealish's leg. He doesn't just step on Grealish's leg. He steps on the ball. Now, again, I don't think those tacks should be allowed. I don't think you should be allowed to step on the ball, studs showing. But, but he's going over the ball, no? He, he, he makes really good, solid contact with the face of the ball. And, and I, I mean... If this is what's hard, right? Because slow motion makes everything look awful and, and trying to understand it in real time. Like he's striding towards it and he strides onto the ball and steps on it. I I think given some of the things that we've seen not not as red that were sort of orangish, this one for me is I, I don't like that technique. I think that technique should be out of the game. I don't think you should mm-hmm. be allowed to, you know, step down onto the ball with your stud showing right, because okay. yeah. the outcome if you don't get it right or if the ball moves is devastating. But I he didn't 
I just wanted to clarify that. I don't I don't think he stomps. He he doesn't stamp on Grealish. He stamps on the ball and the ball gets, you know, taken away and then the foot goes down. So I I'm if he gave it red, I'd be okay. But I don't I don't think blatant red is, is where I'd go with that. Yeah, I mean that's completely fair. Uh, for me, it was. And but I'm I also think on the, the bourbon, so fuck do I know. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that doesn't get him sent off for me is his pretend uh, little cry afterwards. I think that you uh, know, it's so funny you mentioned that, Bill. I just want to stop for one second, which I say, you should almost give cards based on other players' reactions. And I feel like any time the opposition player feigns injury after a bad challenge, send yeah. him off because he knows he screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that for sure. I think he did a couple of roles, and I think that. I don't know what it is with referees and they seem to have a blind spot with that. But, you know, it was for me, it was. And but, you know, I, it, these things can go for you. They they can go against you. It's just part of what happens in football. And I, I you know, obviously I'm completely gutted at, at how it turned out. But I, I can't leave this game thinking, oh, England were hard done by or they were unlucky because I think Italy were better on the day and I think they were better across the whole tournament. So I'm not going to nitpick into red card decisions that weren't given or anything like that. But yeah, I just, I, I just feel like... I think the one on like Saka could be red. I mean, candidly, like, you know, you can't clothesline a player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean especially because it was so high, you know, if yeah. it was just a normal pull of the shirt, I could understand it, no, but it was really high like around the neck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah. They, it's just in the NFL, they, that, that's called a horse collar tackle, and it's a 15-yard <laughs> penalty. Um, okay. Well, so yeah, a, f- a few things about this game that, that were interesting to me. One thing that I didn't love is when Saka did come on, very excited about that, but he came on to mostly play on the left. And I thought a fresh sack against Emerson might be exciting, but Sterling stayed out on the right and Saka played more on the left. And I I don't think he was as effective out there. And in general, I think Saka as an inverted winger is really dangerous. I like seeing him cut in on his left. And, you know, when he's, when he's on the left and he's cutting to the byline, I don't don't know if he's quite as effective, especially if there isn't really a guy to target in there. Would you like to have seen him had a a few more chances to go at that right flank? Because I, Sterling was, I mean, kind of anonymous in this game. And given how vulnerable Emerson looked, I think a big, big miss in this game is that England didn't target him more and have more chances at his side. I mean, it was it was backup fullbacks on both sides, but in Emerson, there was a, there was a clear weakness there. Yeah, yeah. I, I the thing is, I would I would like to see Saka there. I think you're spot on about Emerson. I think he was a weak spot the whole game. I think positionally, he's really shocking. Um, his defensive awareness is kind of all over the place. But, you know, he did start out there initially and he wasn't getting so much joy. And I think the idea with Grealish coming on was to create overloads down the left. Yeah. Um, and they nearly got in a couple of they times. A couple nearly, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there were a couple of occasions where it was like the bounce went against them or the ball just went out of play. So, you know, I don't think it was uh, a radical idea, shall we say, to, to put him out on the left. I mean, we've seen him play well there for Arsenal. And I think him and Grealish have struck up a, a nice rapport with each other. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to say like, oh, what was Southgate doing there? Because, you know, if you're going to ask someone to beat Emerson one-on-one, putting Sterling there is not exactly uh, a bad idea. So I just think the idea with, with Sterling uh, being on the right and Saka on the left was to create overloads with Grealish. And it, you know, it just didn't, didn't quite come off in the end. So... Um, I think it was a difficult game for him overall. I don't think Saka was really involved no, at I all. But yeah. I think in general, all of the English forwards um, were kind of not in the game because every time someone got the ball in defence or in midfield, it was just going long. And the amount of times I was screaming at the TV, just keep it on the floor. Like, 
I don't know what happened, whether they were nervous or they just lost composure, but, you know, you can chuck up 20 balls to Harry Kane and on the odd chance that two of them stick. But what are you going to do with the other 18? They're just going to come back uh, and then you're under pressure again. So I was just screaming, like, keep the ball, keep the ball. And it just wasn't happening. And they were retreating slowly and slowly. And I kind of, you know, expected Italy to, to come at us with a, another goal at the end there. But you know, it's just... Well, we thought, we thought midfield would be an issue, and I, I think you saw it tonight, the technical level yeah, yeah, of midfield. Yeah, it was, absolutely, was, was huge absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Declan Wise is brilliant. I thought I thought he was really good. Um, he broke forward a couple of times. I don't think he was so uh, safe with his passing. I thought Phillips was kind of bypassed a lot today. Yeah. Um, you know what I, I wonder, I'll, Phil? If Phillips yeah, hadn't been the star of the first game of the tournament, do we wind up in a situation where Southgate doesn't pick them both every game? Like he was so good in that Croatia, it was a Croatia game, right? Um, that I almost wonder if that pretty clear weakness, I think it's fair to say in England's squad. And again, both players were good in this tournament. Neither was terrible, but the weakness of not having a ball progressor there, not having a more technical player there. I wonder if they both would have been picked together in every game if it hadn't been for the fact that Phillips was the star of the opening game, you know? And that sort of set the tone. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> It's, it's difficult because we, Henderson wasn't fit and Jude yeah. Bellingham is still, 18. you know, <laughs> 18 years old. So they were kind of senior options, just had a really good season, both of them, especially with Leeds and West Ham. So, What's Jack Wilshere up to? I, well, I don't think he has a club at the moment. So. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's coming um, home. He football isn't, but Jack He's coming home, getting back into London Colney to, I don't know, no. shout out a few 13-year-olds, but... Mm. Um, yeah, so for me, it, it wasn't ideal, but I think England had a big shortage in centre midfield anyway. And in terms of what we had, it was kind of making the best of, of the options that were there, you know? Yeah. Well, look, um, Bukayo Saka doesn't strike me as a guy who's checking his social media because he follows precisely zero people on Twitter, uh, which to me screams uh, professional management organization running your social media account. Mm. But if you have a chance and you're listening to this, Send him a nice message on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on wherever you find him. I think, you know, my hope is that the overwhelming reception to him will be one of love and appreciation and respect and admiration and and that we can lift him uh, as a fan base. You know, we, we tend to assume that what will happen in the wake of this is horrible abuse. But I think those people are still in the overwhelming minority and we have the ability to make the majority of the reaction be positive. So if you have a chance, if you have a social media account and you want to get on there, I think giving a little positive feedback to Saka, ordinarily I'd say, wow, what does that really mean? I think in moments like this, every bit helps um, to see that there's still love and support for a player. I think there's one other thing we have to touch on before we just uh, put the finishing touches on the tournament. And that is, I want to be careful how I address this, Phil, because... I am not making this an England issue. If someone else wants to make it an England issue, that's their business. I am not going to do that. I am simply going to say that some of the scenes before the game, both at the ground and around the city, were a bit hard to look at. And I just, it, it is unfortunate. And do you find yourself as dismayed? Because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it's a few bad apples spoiling it for everyone. Some of these scenes aren't a few bad apples. You know, it's it's thousands of people throwing bottles in the streets and, you know, having punch-ups and breaking through security and trying to get into the ground. Is, do, you, do you find yourself dismayed by that sort of thing or have you just sort of come to expect that that's what we're going to see when, when a big occasion like this comes up? No, I had a, a really terrible feeling going into the game, actually, because this, this game didn't kick off till 8 o'clock in England. 
and people were queuing up outside pubs at 6 a.m. Okay, just Mm -hmm. take that into account how mad that is. And, you know, people have been locked up for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't been easy. Everyone's looking for an outlet. England have given the perfect opportunity. And obviously there's going to be some idiots who, not some, a lot of idiots who just completely go over the rails and, and, and what's expected of them. And, you know, with alcohol in the system, with probably drugs in the system, there's just, I don't know what it is with England fans in particular. I mean, I'm not saying, as you said, it's not, just England fans, but we can't deny that they've got a history of doing this this kind of thing. And I've seen kids getting punched. I've seen uh, security guards who are probably volunteers being pushed to the ground. I've seen, you know, really horrible stuff. And it's just unacceptable for me. And I don't understand why that would why that is acceptable behavior for anyone or from anyone i don't know what goes through their brains to to be in this kind of uh, frame of mind and it just sours things a lot for me because i've felt the most connected i've ever been with england in this tournament i've loved the players i've loved southgate um i've really enjoyed the sense of unity that it's brought and i've been in berlin and i've still felt that unity in the country and everybody being on the same page. And it's just put a real sour note on it for me. It's put a real sour note on it for, for a lot of people and the players I'm sure. And it's just really embarrassing and shocking. And I don't want to be anywhere near associated with these idiots because they're just horrible people. And I really hope that the FA come out and, and condemn this behavior because it's just unacceptable. And if they can, identify some of these people who maybe were violent or uh, aggressive against any security or fans or anybody alike. I hope they can find them and identify them and punish them because it's just not on. And uh, it's put a real sour note on the day for me because it should have been a really positive occasion and and it wasn't at times. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because my instinct is that it's more about alcohol than football, right? And that as a culture... And I don't mean England as a culture. I mean, as America, England, a lot of Western countries, like we have an alcohol problem that we just don't confront. And that young men in particular, drinking all day, you know, wind up with with these issues. So I, I don't want to go too deep into it. It's just a shame. And, and it's unfortunate because I think it just doesn't seem fun to me. Like the, the idea of getting punched in the face and stepping on broken glass and, you know, beating people up. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem fun. And And my hope is that, uh, we will reach a point where we realize there are just better ways to celebrate these kind of occasions. But I think we'll sort of leave it there. The last thing I'll just ask you before we go, Phil, is um, I, it's hard to say this in the wake of the way the tournament ended, especially if you were supporting England and especially if you love Bukayo Saka. But the Saka story was largely a wonderful, wonderful story. Worst case scenario ending, but a wonderful story leading up to it. The England journey was a fun one. The tournament was incredible. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, this tournament is a I mean, it's a 9.9 because 10 would have been Saka putting his penalty away to win it all, but it's 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 a 9.9 out of 10, isn't it? I really enjoyed it. I From the first whistle to the last, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I came into work today with Spanish colleagues, French colleagues, Italian colleagues, and we all sat there and watched it, and it was just so nice to kind of be in normality again you know we had a nice dinner together the company paid for us to to get a dinner oh my i came in it i came in in a boca junior shirt that's nearly as old as me so you know i was feeling it i was there i was ready i was ready for england to um 
um, to do it, to, to finally bring it home. And it, you know, it didn't happen. But for me, the important thing is, is that unlike maybe someone like Belgium or uh, Portugal, I feel like this is the beginning of the England story as opposed to the kind of the last chance for a golden generation. And that gives me more encouragement than anything, because I think, you know, uh, at sort of face value, this is a, a really good squad, a lot of really likable young lads who I feel uh, connected with and close with and that I can relate with. And I think Southgate, you know, for his, um, maybe some of his flaws as a, as a coach, I think he's done an excellent job of really getting people together and, you know, I'm obviously gutted about the result. I mean, penalties is, is the absolute dirt worst way to lose it. And, you know, I just um, hope it, it won't leave a lasting impact on these players. And for Saka, I just, what I've really loved is people loving him as much as we do. Um, I think people maybe overlooked him because he was the best player for a really terrible side. But a lot of people should now see the true Bukayo Saka, who's just a really exciting, humble uh, young guy who we can all get behind and I think that's the England that we need to look for and strive for moving forward so fingers crossed that's how it goes because uh, there's lots to look forward to I think yeah well said well let's leave it there Phil I think what was a 10 out of 10 no reservation was your contribution to this series um, I think it was maybe the second day we were doing it that I realized what a mistake this was how in over my head I was how little uh, I knew about the football I was getting ready to discuss the tournament threw up incredible entertainment. Uh, it made it a blast to discuss, but your knowledge and your willingness to come on here and tolerate uh, me not totally knowing what I was talking about made it worthwhile. I, I've enjoyed this a lot more than I actually expected to, and um, it made the tournament so much more engaging for me. So all I can say is thank you so much, um, and I look forward to having you on the regular pod and then doing other things like this in the future. No, no, my pleasure, really. I, I really enjoyed it, and as you said, it was kind of nice to come on and and speak about what's happened away from my normal full-time work. So I really enjoyed it and it was a, a pleasure to come on and be here. So uh, let's see if we can do some stuff in the future for sure. I, I will certainly be inviting you to do it. And, and if you agree, that's <laughs> your fault, not mine. Uh, Phil's on Twitter yeah. at Phil, underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Italy. Uh, I say that not through gritted teeth. I am absolutely happy for you and all those of you who are supporting Italy for England. I am I am crestfallen for you and gutted about the outcome. Uh, obviously devastated for Bukayo, but you will come back stronger. A wonderful, wonderful crop of, of talented young players uh, to carry England forward. And there's an international tournament not that far off uh, that will be played in the winter uh, in air-conditioned stadia. So <laughs> can't wait to see what that's all about. In any event, it means we can turn our eyes back towards Arsenal, be outraged about transfers, and the the all things grow uh nature nature is healing and we'll uh, we'll turn our attention to the thing we're best at so any of you who joined us for this journey thank you for doing it we, we love that you were here we really appreciate it and we will talk to you after arsenal 10 transfer window nil. No.